This is Fun Raising Radio, and today's guest speaker we have Zane Witherspoon, co-founder and CTO at Dispatch Labs, that raised $8.5 million and was acquired by Perlin. And this episode, we'll talk about you know, all different sources where you can raise money. We'll also touch onto ICO and all this sort of online uh, fundraising, and then we'll move on to the acquisition part. So Zane, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Dispatch Labs. Hey there, Constantine. Happy to. Uh, thanks so much for the time and reaching out. Uh, so my background is in cybersecurity. My first internship out of high school was working network security for Raytheon, who is a big Department of Defense contractor. Um, after that, I moved to San Francisco, got into DDoS mitigation with a company called Nexus Guard. And it turns out that uh, cybersecurity and cryptography go pretty well hand in hand. Um, but it wasn't until I actually got a tax return that was big enough, I didn't think I should just go blow it on a shopping spree, that I thought about investing. And that's kind of when I started to learn a little bit about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Uh, so I got really deep into it really quickly. Obviously, like everybody has that story in crypto of discovering it, maybe putting a little money in then researching and just going deep down the rabbit hole. And uh, next thing I knew, I was organizing events. So for about a year throughout 2017, I organized the San Francisco Ethereum meetup, where we had a ton of projects come across our stage that started as small little homegrown projects. But over the course of 2017 and the crypto boom, uh, those projects turned into large multi-million dollar projects pretty quickly. And right around the same time, I met my co-founders, Matt McGraw and Patrick Wickstrom, who were, uh, Matt was an angel investor in Patrick's company. Mm -hmm. And uh, Patrick was looking for technical support. So he came to our San Francisco Ethereum developers meetup and we hit it off, started talking, started ideating around this idea of a classic blockchain take out the middleman play around data and in particular around content is how it started. So we put together our business plan. Uh, we put together, I draft up some business architecture and some technical diagrams and started working on the code. Uh, we contacted a legal team and decided to open up a friends and family round around, I guess it was November, December, 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, it was supposed to just be uh, around 500000 but we were absolutely overwhelmed by how much interest there would be <laughs> for our project. And uh, next thing we knew, we were over capacity. Uh, we ended up closing that at a million and opening up our next round immediately after. So just, I think, I don't want to say exclusively because of timing, but it certainly helped. Um, we had raised that 8.5 million in a matter of a couple months, which I know is not the traditional fundraising story. It's not. Yeah. So um, let's yeah. first, let me first ask you when exactly did you start raising? So when was this point when you were like, okay, it's time to open up friends and family round? Yeah, it, we were working on it for a good three, four, five months first, um, not taking salaries when there were small expenses. Uh, our, the CEO, Matt, was paying for them out of pocket. 
Um, but it was really, I think, I don't know if there was an exact moment when it felt like this is the right time to fundraise. We just knew that it had to happen if this project was going to go anywhere. And so as soon as we had the legal documents in hand, we had paid the lawyers for the uh, SAFT agreements, which is simple agreement for future tokens, a playoff of Y Combinator's safe agreement, simple <laughs> agreement for future equity. Yeah. Um, we were able to go out there and start collecting signatures, running KYC. And uh, we started doing a little bit of team building at the same time. So we started looking at uh, developers that had experience in CDNs because we were focused on distributed content. So a content delivery network is what a CDN is. What is a CDN? Content delivery network. Uh So that's uh, every time you download a movie or a video game from somewhere, some big file, um, they've got multiple servers all around the world that are ready to deliver that content to you. So that's a content delivery network. And uh, it's it was actually pretty similar to what we were planning on building, but in a more decentralized model. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. So you raised two rounds basically in a row. So you closed one round more than you've expected, basically double more, twice more than you've expected. And then you've opened up the second round. You raised all those $8.5 million in just two rounds? Or was it distributed over some yeah. period of time? So we, uh, one of the lessons that we learned and, uh, constantly, like I said, this is going to be a little bit more uh, educational and inspirational. I think if I can pass on some of the wisdom that I've gained <laughs> through the process, I'd be super happy. Um, we had a uh, influx of interest coming in at the time mm-hmm. and we said no to a lot of it. Once we reached that eight and a half million, we said, no, um, we want to show more progress and uh-huh. then come back and start fundraising another round at a better valuation, like traditional Silicon Valley people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we spent the next six months working on our MVP. And when we launched our test network, which is a major milestone in a distributed network project, um, we thought that we had enough traction to go out and fundraise more effectively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we opened up for our plan was another 6 million and uh, we ended up raising about like 750,000 on top of that. Oh. There was just so much less interest in mid 2018 and like the sharp, sharp drop off in the crypto market. Right. So the, the impact of timing on fundraising is very, very significant. And, uh, the ability to raise more than you think you need, I think is also pretty important. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it's available, then it's, you don't know that it's always going to be available. <laughs> so okay. in hindsight, we definitely wish that we had uh, accepted more at the time when interest was really high. Mm-hmm. God, God, that's pretty interesting. I, to be honest, expected that you will say like, we should have stick to the plan and raise just 500k and then just raise a follow-up round but something new something that i did not expect but let's talk about uh the way you race so you race through saft and to be honest i have never heard that before how is it different from safe so what is that particular difference because it's not an ico right um it's 
ICO is kind of a vague term. Um, it was a private sale of tokens. So the law around securities in cryptocurrencies at the time was very vague. It's since okay. clarified a little bit. It's not super clear just yet still. But essentially, uh, instead of doing a large public sale to anybody who wanted to participate, we were targeting accredited investors who were able to invest in speculative startups. And the simple agreement for future tokens really meant that our business model as a company was not around sales, but it was around the usage of the network we were developing. Um, it's architected in a way that the more people are using this network, the more demand there is to use this network, the more value those tokens were worth. So instead of selling equity, we sold futures on these tokens that we were developing. So through our whole fundraising process, well, it very much was a matter of selling ourselves as an investment. Uh, we never actually had to sell any equity. Nice. So you retained 100% uh, of the company share even after you raised $8.5 million, right? That's right. That's right. Because uh, essentially the company at a certain point would be kind of obsolete uh, besides the treasury of tokens that we would be holding. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal would be to decentralize. Like We could get it off the ground, but ultimately we wanted to build a community that could maintain and develop it further. So crypto is a little bit philosophical in that sense. <laughs> it there. is. And to be honest, yeah. I hate philosophy literally in my <laughs> uh, so I was never not, a huge fan of it either. <laughs> <laughs> let's not dive into that topic, but let's talk about thing that you mentioned. So you were targeting a create investors. How were you doing this? How was it how was it different from something that you call like a normal fundraising process? Were you actually looking for them on Crunchbase or was it through some connections through that network that you had? How did you target those people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it started with, to be really honest, the first group came from our friends and family around. Uh, thankfully, we had a couple of people on the team who were very well connected. Uh, Matt McGraw, the CEO, had a company previously that he had sold called Rocket Science, which was a managed service provider that provided services for most of the venture capitalists down in Silicon Valley on Sand Hill Road. Um, Not only did they love him so much (laughs) that they all bought his products, but every time they signed a new investment, they sent them to him for most of their managed services. So he ended up having a portfolio of companies, uh, of customers for his company, like Airbnb, uh, like Facebook, like GitHub, like Heroku, um, like DoorDash, like Instacart, like all the real big web 2.0 startups. So he had a lot of introductions that he could make at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that I'd say our first round came from his connections and uh, another one of our founders, Ramon Frey, um, also very connected by throwing dinners all around the city for years. And once we had that first round in, it was mostly referrals. Mm -hmm. We were able to build out a network of, yes, if you're interested in investing, great. Who else do you know who'd be interested in investing? Mm -hmm. Um, Who else is, we made a list of who else was investing in the space, looking at our sort of our competitors and figuring out who their investors were, who in their uh, pitching to. 
so that we were able to build a sort of targeted list. And we actually did have somebody, because we brought on so much money so quickly, uh, uh, we had a VP of investor relations who helped manage a lot of those relationships from the get-go. So, so she was very instrumental in helping us find new connections, find new investors, and uh, in making sure the relationships with the existing investors were strong. That's really impressive. So you mentioned something that really caught my attention, which is one guy who was throwing dinners around the city for years. What yep. do you mean by that? What do you mean throwing uh, dinners? I mean, I know it's not literally throwing dinners, but... Um, yeah, well, I mean, he kind of literally was um, organizing these dinners uh, about once a month for around 10 years in San Francisco. Oh. And it would be a dinner that's about... 30 people or so and finds a big space for it. He'll bring in a professional or semi-professional chef. Um, it is a ticketed event, so you have to pay to attend, but mm -hmm. he'll also find a speaker to talk about some topic. And he's covered so much ground from everything from AI to romance in the workplace to <laughs> like gender equality to space travel. It just always have like a sort of a new theme for every dinner. So he has a very, very large network because of it. That's really interesting. That's a, Which that's is kind great. of parallel to um, my network building being through organizing the San Francisco Ethereum meetup. I've really found mm -hmm. that hosting events is an uh, absolute hack to growing your network. Right. Because not only do you get to meet a bunch of people at once, but when people think about a subject, you're the one who comes to mind as an mm -hmm. organizer. Right. Right. And also in that meetup or whatever event you're organizing, you automatically basically become the main guy or the main girl because like you're you're the one in charge. So it's really it's a nice. All of a sudden, hack. opportunities start coming to you. Right, 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 right. So let's talk about the acquisition. Uh, when did you decide mm -hmm. that you know it's time to sell? When was it that you were like, okay, we're yeah, ready for that? So, or what happened um, there? Things were uh, things were tough on the treasury management side. Almost right after we received our funding, we, because being a crypto company and believing in the future of cryptocurrency, we accepted most of the investment in different cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and Dash. And uh, to liquidate millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency, you need a business account on most of these exchanges. It's not something you can do at a consumer level. Mm -hmm. So uh, we made a few institutional accounts, and then almost immediately afterwards, the SEC issued cease and desist orders to oh, all the exchanges that were selling <laughs> unregistered securities in the US. So all of our accounts were canceled and closed in the middle of the cryptocurrency freefall. And ultimately, I think we actualized about 3 million USD out of all the cryptocurrency that we raised. Oh my God. All right. So could have invested heavier in uh, treasury management for sure. Right. Hindsight is 2020. Sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's when uh, that also sparked part of like our raising the next round in uh, middle of 2018, which like we said, didn't go quite as well as expected. The demand had fallen off as quickly as the high prices of cryptocurrency had. So we started thinking about other ways to make the company sustainable. And 
You know, it, it was hard at that point because we had 25 people, more or less, in the organization. They had families. They had mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if we weren't able to sustain ourselves through fundraising, then sort of the next best option was uh, acquisition, a company that did have the funds to help see this project through to the end. So we sort of shifted our pitch and started talking to a lot of other companies, both in the traditional enterprise world and in the cryptocurrency space. Mm -hmm. And we ended up signing an agreement with Perlin Labs in Singapore, who was working on a similar kind of technology to ours, complementary, and they really wanted access to our development team. Um, So we signed the paperwork, made a joint press announcement. And uh, this, again, uh, much more educational than inspirational. (laughs) They ended up backing out of the deal and they never paid us for the acquisition. Post the public release uh, publicity announcement, uh, most of the other interest in acquisition with the other conversations we had ha- we were having had dropped off. So we were kind of left without a lot of options other than to pursue legal action in Singapore, which for the amount of the acquisition, what it was, it, we decided wasn't worth it. So mm-hmm. the technology is open sourced and we got the mainnet launched in December of... 2018. Uh, But in terms of business and utilization, uh, pretty much everybody had to find other jobs. And that was more or less the end of dispatch. All right. That's a sad, that's a damn sad story. Come on. (laughs) Um, And I mean, I'm going to, I'll add in a little bit more too. That's come to light. I, in hindsight, wish that we had been a little bit more selective when we had the demand for who was investing. Um, Because uh, a lot of people have come forward or a few investors have come forward and said, actually, it wasn't my money. I was investing. I was investing these other people's money. And now they're very upset, which is a tough situation, but uh, it's caused a little bit more, headache than uh, we would have originally expected. So another lesson learned is that not only is it better to take smart money than dumb money, but dumb money can actually have a negative impact on your organization as well. Yep, it can. And that's, uh, that's a really sad story, but you know, it's really educational. So thanks. Thanks a lot for sharing it. So, yeah, and I, it's, we all had a great time. I can't think of anybody at Dispatch who would say that it was a negative experience. Um, it was a pretty phenomenal year and a half that we had <laughs> growing and then shrinking very quickly. Um, obviously, lots of lessons learned. And I think that we did have a pretty big impact on the space and the way, shifting the way people were thinking about distributed data and distributed nice. data analytics in particular. That's, I think, one of the major benefits of working with, uh, on a startup. You know, you can have tons of fun. So that's that's good. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you, you do not regret doing this. So my next question actually was uh, successful founders as a source of capital and advice. For sure, you 
qualifies a successful founder, I will not take that away from you. But you. <laughs> do you still get uh, some, uh, you know, do people pin into your LinkedIn or do they try to shoot you an email, you know, asking like, hey, can you review my uh, project that's in cryptocurrency space? Or are they trying to get you on board as an advisor or actually as a co-founder of something crypto related? Do they do this? Yeah, yeah. Um, have, being a CTO and managing a team of, we were uh, around 13 engineers at our peak, has uh, dramatically changed the course of my career in terms of um, headhunting and LinkedIn. Honestly, <laughs> I, uh, I'm so constantly bombarded on LinkedIn at this point, people trying to sell me managed services or overseas development, that it's very hard to get any <laughs> signal through that noise at all. But on the flip side, people that I do want to hear from um, often reach out quite a bit, especially in the cryptocurrency space. Uh, I do advise for three or four companies nice. um, in the crypto space primarily. And there has been a whole lot of interest to work with me. So I, I'm definitely still interested in entrepreneurship. It's an itch that I just need to scratch. But <laughs> In the meantime, if there are sort of gaps when I need to uh, pay the rent, I'm very fortunate to be in a position now where I, uh, I, I know my worth and other people do as well. That's Pretty awesome. To be. Now that's the happy ending. Now I like that. You know, before that, I was getting <laughs> really sad. Feeling bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm doing great. <laughs> Awesome. That's great to hear. So you said that you get a lot of noise. I know that's a common practice for anyone who you know got acquired in any way, even if it's not like a very successful acquisition. You still get tons and tons of inbound emails from random people who you don't care about. So how should founders who really are not trying to sell you anything, they're just trying to get you on board as an advisor or just want you to take a look at their pitch deck, how should they approach you? Um, I find email to be pretty effective. You know, I, I before uh, taking on a leadership role, I was a big fan of all the instant messenger platforms like Telegram and Facebook and Instagram Messenger and LinkedIn, Twitter DMs. But honestly, those are so public facing that uh, reaching out to me via email is almost always going to get my attention. Um, right now, I'm working on a project called Fathom Privacy, which is still in line with the distributed data that I was working on at Dispatch. So if anyone wants to reach out to me and learn more, feel free to hit me at zane at fathomprivacy.com. Perfect. I will leave that email in the description of this episode. So uh, if anyone wants to talk to Zane, hit him up there. So at this point, I'll ask you a last question, then we'll wrap it up. So it's a call to action. What do you want? What one thing do you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over? So one very specific thing that you recommend them doing. Uh, to be honest, I would say uh, start utilizing your network as best you can and grow it if you can. Um, I I'm a big fan of events. Like I mentioned, I know that in COVID times, that's a lot harder to do. Um, but you can get creative by even just anything that brings people together will be effective and making you sort of a thought leader on the subject. Uh, mm -hmm. I have friends who specialize in making Facebook messenger group threads that are really effective. Um, I have friends who put together really effective email lists 
just any way that you can sort of bring people together, whether it's virtually or eventually in person, to start to grow your network and opportunities will come to you. Right. Yeah. Network is extremely important, but just personal note from me, do not go too much into that because I've seen some people who are like so focused on their network that, you know, one guy told me like, yeah, I have 26,000 people on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, so what's, what do you do with those 26,000 people? And then just, yeah, utilize you know, the network too. Yeah. I just was, I was just, I just wanted to prove him being a not, I'm not going to say bad words on my own podcast, so I will not say that. What I, was saying, <laughs> I was being a bad person, and I went there on his LinkedIn page and looked at how many reactions his last post got. And I think it was like three likes. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so don't the get to... The thing is you've got to create value for people. Right, right, like, right. You have to have that intention from the start. It's like you've exactly. got to bring people together for the sake of bringing people together. You're bringing them there either to educate or to let them meet other people, or just giving them a chance to express themselves or talk about their project. Right. No? That's yeah. exactly what my summary was. I was just saying it in a more negative way. <laughs> so thank <laughs> thanks for making it sound more positive, and thanks for making the ending really good. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Zane, for coming up and for sharing your story. It was a pretty sad story, but with a happy ending, I think. So thanks a lot for sharing it. I think it was still pretty inspirational even though it's not like a complete template of success that you followed, <laughs> but you still know, there's a, a lot of winding roads and the path to success, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's what startup world is about. Thank you for coming up and for sharing that story. Thanks so much, Constantine. Thanks everyone at home for listening. <laughs>